Welcome back to another episode of the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. We are thrilled that you're here. And today we're going to do a little bit of a special episode. Um, I'm going to be talking to my daughter. This is Mona. And my daughter's name is Rachel. And she's going to share a little bit about her experience being raised by parents that she didn't know were neurodiverse, but were neurodiverse. And Olga's not going to be with us on this podcast, but she'll be back for the next one. And Rachel's going to share a little bit about her perspective. So Rachel is 24 and she left for college when she was 18, actually 17, 17. and <laughs> turned 18 her first year of college. And she's living on her own. And, um, she had two parents who loved her very, very much, but they were very, very different. We were very, very different. So, Rachel, where do you want to start? <laughs> um, the day I was born was a Wednesday. Um, she has a great sense of humor, too. <laughs> um, I don't know. We were talking about this last night. We were talking about how, um, you know, because I was raised by you guys, nothing that ever like nothing that ever happened felt particularly foreign to me. Sure. Um, and because, you know, you had a life before you met dad, um, you know, you could look at some of his behaviors and be like, wow, that's really strange or that's not what I'm used to or whatever. And that's what, you know, that's how it happens when you meet anybody, you sure. have to kind of adapt to friendships and relationships and whatever. Um, but because I was raised by dad and you, you know, when you got really emotional or whatever, like that was completely normal to me or you being very sensitive, you know, right. that's completely normal to me. Right. And, you know, as a child, I thought that that was, that's, that's how everybody's mom was, <laughs> sure. you know? And then with dad, you know, him, him and I only really having like a, I guess you could, I don't want to call it like a superficial relationship, but like all of the things we talked about and, and to this day, like it's getting a little better, but like to this day are the main things we talk about are like movies, music, TV, like his stuff. special interests, right? Which are mine too, because right. I was raised by him. You know what I'm saying? So that's not like, that's not like weird to me. Right. You right. know? Right. In fact, I think uh, that, I mean, that is such a good point, Rachel, because you don't know any different. Mm -hmm. We're the only parents you ever had. Yeah. And we didn't get divorced until you were in college. Mm -hmm. um, and so daddy's interests in the police mm -hmm. and the cars, especially the police, yeah. police became one of your favorite bands, mm -hmm. right? And the movies that he would watch, I'm not sure that you were as interested in James Bond or the Planet of the Apes. No, but like what I've noticed, like I've been doing, um, I, I'm a carpenter and I do a lot of work with um, middle-aged and older men because okay. obviously like there's not, there's not going to be many other 24 year old women <laughs> doing carpentry. So like a lot of the men that I talk to, you know, you talk to them enough and you find out that they're pretty nerdy too. They like sci-fi and they're, you know, my dad's age. So sometimes I talk to them and I say stuff like, oh yeah, like, you know, when I was a kid, I watched Logan's Run a bunch of times. And they're like, Logan's Run? You know, Logan's <laughs> Run? And I'm like, yeah, my dad was really into all this stuff. So I, it's kind of an avenue of conversation that opens up with men of a certain age. Because my dad's a huge nerd. Um, and so am I. Like, that's that's where I got it from. But my, I guess, nerdiness. 
Like I, I have all this knowledge of like seven, 60s, 70s, and 80s nerd culture, and then I kind of adapted that to be to be my own like like the the nerdy stuff that I'm into now um, is derived from that. I that guess. is a great point because it, it's kind of funny. Um, I did post something on Instagram the day that I did early voting. Um, I sent a text to Rachel and her dad and said, I hope you guys vote. It's really important that everybody votes. And she sent a funny picture with her sticker that she voted. Mm -hmm. And then her dad sent a picture of, do you remember what it was? Yeah. It's, <laughs> I used to collect um, Pokemon figurines when I was little. I loved Pokemon. I still do. And I gave him one of his favorites was a Pokemon called Gyarados. It's like the sea serpent thing. And he ha he still has it. He has this little <laughs> plastic figurine. I, I don't have any of the ones that I used to have, but he still has this one. And I thought that was pretty, pretty cute. Yeah. And what he did is he put the I voted sticker on this Pokemon figure. Yeah. And that's what he sent to Rachel and I. And I just, my heart kind of like opened up and I smiled because I remember how they used to play together. And I, my brain just didn't work that way. Mm -hmm. They were definitely two peas in a pod and they would play with dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And what else do you remember playing with, with, with daddy? Um, well, I think, well, I think the thing was like when I was really little and like, I wanted to, you know, play pretend and whatever, like you were working on your dissertation and you were always, you know, kind of preoccupied with work and school and that's not a bad thing yeah. i mean you like you know i have i have one parent that doesn't have any degrees and the other one has three you right. know <laughs> it's like it's you know it's a good you were a good role model to have like i always saw you hard at work and then you know i needed that enrichment as a child like to play pretend and right. to, like be imaginative and whatever and so that's what dad did and so we like we I, I had a bunch of stuffed animals. <laughs> I loved dogs as a kid. Now I'm a cat person, which funnily enough, so is my father. Right. I wonder where I got that from. <laughs> um, and then I had a lot of stuffed animal dinosaurs and he used to come up with all these stories for them. And then I would like add to them and he used to do these funny voices. And like these, those things, you know, I had when I was a kid for my father. And now I realized that I do it all the time too, like funny voices and stuff yes. just to entertain, you yes, know, you do. I do. I, yeah, it's, you do. It's, and it's awesome. Yeah. And it's awesome. And it's, it's funny to, to like really kind of focus it, like, like narrow in on where those things come from. Right. Because I don't think, I don't think anybody goes through life day to day and they're like, Oh yeah. Like I got angry at somebody in, on the road because my father got angry all the time when I was driving around in the car with him. It's like, no, nobody really thinks about that. Yeah. But if you, if you give yourself a moment and you realize like, this is from my mother, this is from my father, this is from my aunt who raised me or another guardian, whatever, right. like right. that's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And, and going back to that, there was something that um, I know Rachel, you felt really uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. And we always say that if, um, I wasn't Rachel's mom, she would probably be just like her dad, which there's good sides to everybody and there's challenging sides. But we always joke that she never would have gone to college. Mm -hmm. um, she barely wanted to finish high school. No, I hated it. <laughs> she hated it. But what was interesting when she was little and this started in kindergarten is Rachel was very socially awkward. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
tell them what you were like as a little kid. Yeah, I just <laughs> like I didn't know how to interact with people. Like I, I think at home, like playing pretend with my dad, it was like none of these stuffed animals are going to judge me. Mm -hmm. None of these stuffed animals <laughs> are going to make conversation with me that's different from like the safety net of how my father talks to me, which I am totally comfortable with. You know what I mean? Great point. So going to school, there's a million unknowns. Right. And kids can be mean, right. you know? And, and so we moved around a lot when I was little. And um, every school, I, I don't know if this is what you're yeah, talking about. Is. Every school that, new school that I went to, my mom would say, uh, for the first month, every day, you have to talk to a new person. And at the, <laughs> at like the, fir the first month, I was like, I'd go to school and be like, oh my God, I actually, like, I have to like really focus my energy <laughs> into talking to someone. And I talked to someone and it was like, it was, it was, it got easier, but in the, First, the first few times we moved when I was really little and I, we were going to different schools, it was like, it was so painful. Yeah. It was like, I, I just want to sit in the corner. Like I want to read a book yeah. or whatever. Like that's what you wanted to do. That's, yeah. that's what you felt comfortable with. And, and I know, and I also posted this on Instagram and I shared it with my ex and Rachel that, uh, I absolutely felt like a third wheel, Rachel mm. and her daddy bonded when she was young in a way that I felt like an outsider. Yeah. I didn't understand how their brains were wired. I didn't understand their creativity. I didn't understand how they could talk to each other and do these voices and all this stuff came easily. And I, they kind of ignored me <laughs> <laughs> and now I can laugh about it, but at the time it really hurt. But I will tell you that um, I think, me sharing with you how important it was for you starting in kindergarten mm -hmm. to talk to at least one person every day, I would say for the first month, but sometimes all you needed to do was do it for the first few weeks. Right, and you'd make a friend. Or right, whatever. right. And I would say to her, just ask them where they live. Just ask them if they have any brothers or sisters. Ask them what their favorite, you know, Pokemon is. And she found two really <laughs> dirty. Yeah. <laughs> friends yeah when we lived in california yeah do you want to share anything about them yeah i mean <laughs> yeah i was just i was learning how to how to be social and i think i mean i i think it's it's one thing you know there's some kids that are innately born and they're just social butterflies and they will talk to like you mother yes <laughs> um they'll just talk to anybody they're just and and it's so it's so fun when you see kids like that because it's like you sometimes when you think of a child, you're like, you automatically assume like, oh, they're going to be shy. Like I have to be, you know, gentle with them or whatever. But there's some kids that just pop right out of their shell the moment they're born. They're right. just like, I'm here, like, <laughs> listen to me. Um, but initially I wasn't, you know, that kind of kid. But when I started becoming more social, I realized like, I, I, I started cracking jokes. Like, like my dad did with me and people thought I was funny. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's interesting. Like <laughs> I, I can crack jokes and I can make people laugh and that makes me feel great. I love making people laugh. And you're so good at it. I try, you know, uh, I, and, and once, once I kind of figured that out, I was like, I was set. I just, I think, you know, being, um, the child of a, of a neurodiverse couple, I think, 
you kind of have to, you're prone to picking up things from both parents, like, right. like any kid is. And you have to kind of find your niche yeah. or niche. I'm not exactly sure. I know, I know, I know. Niche, I know they, yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, you, you've got to find that. And mine was like comedy mm-hmm. and I just used it for everything. Like that was how I made friends. Um, from then on, what, once I found it, I was like, I can use this anywhere. Yeah. And for the majority of, of my life, like the friends that I have made, I have made because I have made them laugh at some point early in the friendship. And then it just kind of grows from there. So, so my two friends that you were mentioning in, in kin- I guess I get, they, I met Maybe both in first, kindergarten. kindergarten or first grade. Yeah. yeah. They were the nerdiest little boys <laughs> you could ever meet wigs i'm like this chubby little little kid and these two like hanging around with these two nerdy twinks never cut their hair wearing like like oversized shirts me too frankly like i just look like i used to get asked if i was a boy a lot um and then puberty hit me like a like a battering ram and that and people stopped asking me but as a kid they were are you a boy or a girl and i'm like i don't i mean i I don't really know how to answer that genuinely. Like, I don't know how to tell you. That's a weird question to ask. Um, but these these two boys never asked me that, which was nice. Um, and they kind of needed to be protected. Like, I was yeah. larger than both of them, physically larger than both of them. You were. So that was kind of a plus for them. Um, but we played video games together. We talked about the books we were reading um did you just play video games or were you all obsessed with oh video we were games? obsessed with video were games. you obsessed with the different toys mm-hmm. where uh-huh so yeah, yeah. collecting pokemon cards uh-huh. and, and stuff like that it I mean, became po- your life yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and so those were your special interests mm-hmm. and you found two nerdy boys who both loved you yeah. i mean loved you I mean, one wanted to marry you and have 80 kids. I think it was like 96. 96 kids. He was adamant about that. (laughs) And the other, you were like his only friend, I think. Yeah. You know, um, he just adored you. And you were their protector, but you all had the same special interests Mm -hmm. and you talked the same language and you understood each other on like a soul level. Yeah. You know, and I think you did protect them. Yeah, no, I literally did. I they, they would get bullied like we'd be playing basketball or whatever and they'd get bullied and and I would kind of have to step in between whatever bully and this little waif of a child and be like, "Hey, like don't like stop getting in his face. He's going to start crying." So this was Rachel when she was in 3rd grade, her teacher actually said to me, "I've got to tell you what Rachel did." on the playground she went through a conflict resolution session (laughs) with some kids and i don't know who the kids were i don't know if it was the two friends that you have yeah no it was (laughs) it was it was one of them and it was it was just these there were like four or five kids this must have been like second grade that were like i don't know like five feet five foot four five foot five (laughs) in second grade and they were like terrifying but like when i talked to them they were pretty chill they were just picking on on my friends so I was like I, I had to step in I don't remember this that well but I do very much remember being on the basketball court and having to like talk yeah. to these really tall kids you did. and and the teacher I remember her telling me you know that you did that the conflict resolution and I'm a social worker so Rachel got that 
um, from me because whenever there was a problem, I would say, okay, what can you learn from this? Yeah. <laughs> right. What is the opportunity? So this doesn't happen again. So I think oftentimes I would hear her with her own friends using my words, just like she used her daddy's words in her creative talents and her mm -hmm. creative journey. She used the social work side of me and the highly sensitive person, which I didn't know I was at the time, in the way you dealt with conflict and maybe some of your friends and different issues that you had to deal with as you were growing up. Yeah. 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 So it's just, it's really, really cool how Rachel is absolutely, um, I wouldn't say 50-50, her dad and me, mm -hmm. but you can see the tremendous influence of both of us in her. So um, why don't you tell folks what you're, I know you're a carpenter now, but what you majored in, in, in college and what your kind of career path has looked like. Yeah. So um, I majored in theater performance in college. Um, I graduated last year, just shy of the, <laughs> cool. the uh, very unfortunate, you know, pandemic. Um, I, minor oh I didn't minor I got two certificates that I never got in the mail <laughs> um so I don't know if I actually got the in <laughs> got those certificates I got one in uh women's and gender studies yeah no women's studies and then queer and gender studies I don't know there was it something was something like something that. like that um and did I, you find your tribe yeah no definitely I I I did theater performance in college um, as, as an actor and a little bit afterwards, but, um, pretty much through my last two years of college. And then up until now I've worked as a theater technician, basically backstage. I do carpentry. I do audio. I've done some lighting. Um, I will never touch a costume in my life. It's not like <laughs> costume. I, I can't sew to save my life. Um, yeah, I've done, I've done a little bit of everything though. And, I guess like my dad was always really into like film right. and film production and music, music production, stuff like that. So I guess I've kind of taken that and applied it to a different medium mm -hmm. um, in theater um, because the film program at my college is completely like it was non-existent. There was, <laughs> there was nothing there. Um, so I went to theater and, you know, I, I think a lot of people can relate to this, you know, when you meet, a group of people that's in like um that's that's in a field that you know is part of your career and they are like the groups of people that you meet in this field are consistently like on your level mm -hmm. and you're like really vibing with them and that's been the way it's been for every every theater thing i've ever touched i've done a lot of events work too and it's not the same like mm -hmm. but the but the theater technicians that i meet and sometimes the actors too um are always like i'm like these are my people you and know why do you think they're your people what is it because i feel the same way about people in the helping right. profession and people who have big hearts and whether they sit on a board of a nonprofit or they're doing some kind of helping work, whether it's a doctor or a nurse or a social worker. So what is it? Is it the special interests? You can talk about the same things and you feel you gel. Is it just an energy, a vibe? What do you think it is? Um, I, I think, I think theater is something that binds everybody in it because it's like you, you know, you're probably not going to make a lot of money doing this, especially local and community theater. Like you're probably, you're not, you're not making a lot of money doing this. So why, why else would you do it other than 
you love it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's the case for me and the case for pretty much everyone else I meet. And it's just like, like theater backstage is like just a band of like misfits. It's just the, (laughs) like the weirdest people you will ever meet, the nerdiest people you will ever meet. I know people who have been to jail, who've been addicted to drugs. And then I know people who have, you know, who have two degrees and something completely different and are now working backstage in theater. You know, like it's just, they run the gamut. They run the gamut. They run, there's so many different kinds of people. And I think I, I, that that's so interesting because Rachel and I are really, really close. And so we talk about almost everything. And I think what's really cool is that everybody is accepted for who mm-hmm. they are. Um, you know, you, you came out when you were 18 and you find so many people in theater who are struggling mm-hmm. with their, you know, their identity, their sexuality. Um, they've been bullied in school. Um, they may have horrible relationships with their parents or their families and they kind of create an extended family. Yeah. Right. And can just be themselves and being on stage, you can pretend to be somebody else and be valued. Yeah. Right. And and, uh, well, I would like to, I'd like to touch on, on two things. The first thing is, is, is being on stage. what, What you said, being on stage, you're able to be somebody else. I think that's really important for, um, for a lot of actors, because I think, I think probably a lot of actors are, you know, neurodiverse in, in some way. And it's like, I don't have to be authentically myself on stage because that like is off putting to some people. And that really makes me feel bad. So instead I can be somebody else. I can be somebody else that, that someone else has written. I can be a completely fictional character. I don't have to show me because the me that I often show is put down is, you know, laughed at is whatever, because they don't fit with other people. I've known so many actors like that. It's so, I think you've hit on something that's so important. And I think I'll post something on Instagram about this because I would bet that a lot of people in creative fields, in theater are probably neurodiverse and have always felt like outsiders until they found that tribe. Right. And, and well, that was the other thing I was going to, I was going to touch on. I think mm-hmm. there's, I mean, most people, even if you're not in theater, you kind of know the correlation between like queer life and theater life. Like there's a lot of queers in the theater sure. and I, I am one of them and I have met so many more just, you know, working in the theater as long as I have. Um, and something that, that carries over from both communities is, um, the idea of a found family, which you were, which mm-hmm. you were mentioning. And I, a lot of times think that, I mean, I have, I have a great relationship with you and I have a great relationship with, with my dad, but like the, the friends that I have made through theater, through doing theater, I also consider my family, Mm -hmm. you know, because, and, and that is, I mean, it's something that happens a lot because like, you know, how many, how many queer people do you know that have been kicked out of their homes, you know, just for being who they are. Right. And, um, you, you create these communities together and you realize like, we, we have this, this fundamental similarity, but because of that, there are so many other things that are, that, that are similar between us. There are Mm -hmm. so many threads that bind us. And it's the same thing. It's the same exact thing in theater. And I don't know if it's, 
because there's so many queers in theater or it's because theater is also one of those like I don't want to, I don't want to call it like theater. People aren't like a marginalized group. It's just a profession that a lot of people don't, you, people don't think you're going to be successful in, mm-hmm. you know, that's how people feel about the arts. You sure. know, not a lot of parents are super encouraging about their kids getting into the arts. You're never going to make money. You're not going to make a living. Right. You're not going to be able to support yourself. It's like, you can, right. But there has to be a, an element of love in it. Right. You know, like, it, it is your special interest mm-hmm. um, and you can't imagine yourself doing anything else. Mm-mm. Right. I mean, and, and once you find that and then you find your tribe, your peeps and you feel like you've got that extended family. I mean, your friends have been there for you through a lot yeah. because I was five hours away. So, you know, normally if you were you know close to me, I would have been there for you. But um, your friends have come through over and over again, mm-hmm. and it's it's just wonderful. And I, I I really feel like, and I I say this to all my friends, Rachel is my favorite human being in the whole universe, and I wish that I was as well adjusted at her age that she is, and. I'm thankful that she's thriving and that she feels comfortable in her own skin and she's found her passion and she's able to make a living at it. And I wish that more neurodiverse people were able to do that. And and that's, I think, one of my areas of focus because I think if more people could find a way to make a living doing what they're most passionate about and had an environment where they could be themselves, which is what you have with your theater tribe. Mm-hmm. You can be yourself. And then when you're not yourself and you're on stage, people love you because you're acting, but then you get off stage and you can totally be yourself. So it's right. like the best of all worlds. Yeah. And um, they say, I mean, some of the research has said 80 to 90% of people who are neurodiverse are unemployed. Mm. that's not okay for them because their self-worth, their ability to be financially independent, live on their own and be successful. I mean, that's got to be very depressing. So um, we're going to do another episode together. But um, what Olga and I do at the end of every episode is we talk about lessons learned. But before we go there, is there anything else you want to share about your we're going to do another episode? Is there anything else you want to share during this episode about what we've talked about? Um, I don't know. I think, I guess just to anybody listening that feels like they haven't found their people yet, like there's, there's, I, I, and I don't mean this in like a romantic relationship way. Like there's somebody for everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, there's somebody out there who will get you, who will understand you or a group of people or a career that you can focus all of your energy on and feel totally at ease and totally in love with it. Um, and that's, it's, I I think, I truly believe that there's, that exists for every, everybody on earth. I agree. I agree. And I think that's a great lesson. And for any parents out there of neurodiverse children, which I didn't know that I was coaching Rachel for 24 years, we (laughs) kid about it. Um, (laughs) I didn't know, but uh, for those that have children that are um, on the autism spectrum or are dealing with ADHD or dealing with other um, neurodiverse neurodiverse issues, their brain, their children's brains are definitely wired different and, and you don't seem to be able to connect to really listen mm-hmm. and watch what your child gets happy about. 
and what they're thriving doing because Rachel loved to create. Rachel loved to use her imagination. Rachel loved playing with her daddy because it was so comfortable and she could be totally her nerdy self, mm -hmm. you know? And then she loved these two friends that she met in kindergarten. And I never tried to change her. Yeah. In fact, she wanted to wear boys clothes <laughs> at a very <laughs> young age. And the mother in me for about 30 seconds was like, mm, let's try on this little ballerina tutu. I hated it. She, I, hated it <laughs> I have a so picture much. of her crying in the ballerina yeah, tutu yeah. with earrings on. She hated it. And so she wore, we shopped in the boys department. Mm -hmm. She wore all boys clothes, boys shoes. And that's what she felt comfortable in. And she had to make the decision whether she ever wanted to dress in more feminine clothes and she did you did in sometimes in in high school but in college you did more yeah um but you know she feels probably more comfortable on a pair of sweats and a t-shirt definitely <laughs> and so i think that's my lesson um learned from i mean there's lots but for this episode being the mother of an amazing human i think she's partly amazing because she was able to always do what she needed to do yeah. Thank you all. If you want to reach out, you can contact us on Instagram, neurodiverse underscore love, or through email, neurodiverse love for you at gmail.com. Thank you all, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.